Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to the show by clicking on the subscribe by email button on the left-hand side of your screen. And then every time I upload a new show, you will be notified in your inbox. And that's the only email you'll receive. Today, we have number six of our predictions for 2011 shows. And it's my pleasure to be talking to Dave Skarika, an old friend uh, and an old friend of the show. Dave has a new book out. It's called The Great Super Cycle, Profit from the Coming Inflation Tidal Wave and Dollar Devaluation. And uh, it's always refreshing to talk to Dave uh, because he's a, a little bit more bullish than uh, many of uh, my guests. But I understand, Dave, that uh, this year, you're not quite as bullish as you normally are. Uh, yeah, the, the reason I was so bullish starting in late 08, really into 09, and actually I have a podcast on your site that we did in August 2009. Uh, and it's actually one of my favorite interviews. We're at a British pub and there's Beatles music in the background. Uh, but I, I'm really still quite bullish, even though the market had come up a lot from from its bottom at that time. And obviously a year and a half later, you know, the market has, the S&P was probably roughly 1,000 then, and now it's almost 1,300. But one of my reasoning was, in my, and this is a theme of my book, The Great Super Cycle, is that all these markets, they, they travel in cycles. And you have these secular bull markets and secular bear markets. And these long-term cycles tend to last 10 to 15 as much as uh, 20 years. And within the Within these long-term cycles, you get what's called a cyclical bull or bear market, which is usually a move of one, two, three years. And when looking at these past cycles in terms of the economic backdrop and the movement in the markets, I found that the 2008-2009 kind of crash was most similar to the 1907 crash, the 1974 bull or bear market, and uh, the 37 bear market, but especially 74 and 1907. And both of those periods were followed by two-year uh, rallies in the equity markets that took the market up between 80 and 100%. And then in 1977, after the 74 to 76 rally, and in 1909, after the 07 to 09 rally, we had about a one- to two-year bear market, which, by the way, was, was much different from the crash. Uh, it was a bear market that was more subdued. It was a bear market that was more grinding. That, and it was a bear market that saw higher inflation. So that's what I'm looking at here. I'm looking at probably if this cycle continues to play out, we're going to see a top in the late first or second quarter. And I think the top will take a while to play out, kind of like uh, the last top in 2007 took. It, it will take three to six months to play out. And then I think we'll enter uh, a bear market. But rather than being a crash like 2008, what we're going to see is like the 1977 bear market, the, the Dow fell 25%. We're going to see... You know, that kind of bear market, 20 to 30 percent. And I think the difference between this bear market and the last bear market is that commodity prices got taken down with everything else in 2008. This time, 
the bear market is going to be caused by higher inflation and higher commodity prices and higher interest rates and maybe a bit of a run of the dollar after we get through some of the problems in Europe over the next six to 12 months. And that will drive it lower. So you could actually see a disconnect where commodities in the stock market start ra- stop rallying together. The commodities will continue to head higher and the stock market will head lower as the inflationary pressures are just too much for the stock market and economy to handle. Okay, uh, one of my kind of big theories, if you like, and uh, I know there are others that have noticed it as well, is this, uh, let's call it all one market syndrome. That's what Bob Hoyes called it, where the dollar falls and everything else, be it stocks, commodities, bonds, rises and vice versa. You see that 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 all one market no longer existing. I think at some point, if you look at the 70s secular bear market or the 40s, that usually it's the dollar goes down and the market goes down with it and interest rates go up. You know, And of course, as you said, in the last 10 years, we've seen this thing where the dollar has gone down and all markets around the world, the U.S. markets included, go up. And I think that disconnect is going to start at some point. And my theory is you, you live in the U.K., which is one of the most aggressive countries in terms of battling its fiscal deficits at the moment. Well, and- they claim to be. Well, it's, it's more than the U.S. That's what I'll, I'll say. Uh, okay. That the U.S. hasn't even started, <laughs> right? And I know, and I'm not saying that Europe is really aggressive, but they're probably two to three to four years ahead of the U.S. So, if we see any kind of improvement in the de- deficit levels in Europe, like say Ireland or the U.K. go from 10 percent of GDP to six, right, in the next year or two, the U.S. is probably, in my opinion, is still going to be running between eight and ten. And I think that's when the shifts, uh, the focus shifts from, oh, you know, this is the European debt crisis to, no, this is the American debt crisis. And the problem we have in the United States is, so I'm from Canada originally, and Canada's pulling out of Afghanistan this year. Is that, and, and you're from UK, it, we can usually, we can pull out of these wars, boom, there's some expenditures gone right there. The US is kind of like, the, the current has the current global empire and it's not in the way of having an empire like yeah Britain or France had in the past. It's more they have military bases and military presence everywhere. And it's gonna be much more difficult for them to roll that back. And that is gonna also on top of you know the, the problems with social security and the unfunded liabilities, that also leads to kind of a structurally high deficit. And I think the way they're gonna get out of it is by printing money and and I think that's when you get this inflation going forward. And I think that's where I differ from the def- I differ from the deflationists. That I think any kind of deflationary scare that like we've had the European debt crisis, the states have problems in the U.S. Uh, unfunded liabilities, blah blah blah. It's all going to be battled by printing money in the end. And that's why I'm, I'm always an inflationist because I think that even if you get these little bouts of downward pressures, it will always end up resolving itself in inflation and higher prices. Okay, um, what do you think about uh, U.S. government bonds? Then I presume I take it you're bearish about them. Yeah, I think they hit their long-term secular top in December of 2008. Now the mid end of the curve actually went to higher highs or lower lows on the yield uh, this year. But if you look at the U.S. bond market, it takes very, very long. They're very, very long cycles. Like. It took around 1981 to 1984 for it to bottom. There was a big rally off the bottom from 81 to about 83. And then there was a big decline into 84. 
So it took three to four years for it to define that bottoming process. And I think we're in this two, three, four year topping process in the bond. And if you look at it, again, take the yields in 87, turn it upside down. That's what we look like now, just on the other end of the spectrum in terms of the bottoming in yields. So yes, I'm very, very bearish on long-term government bonds. And even if you're not someone who thinks they're going to go up because of inflation, it's just a pure supply demand where if you actually look at Chinese holdings, they're down year over year of U.S. government bonds. And it had to issue over you know, 1.5 trillion of things or 1.4 trillion of things. So at some point, you're just going to have too much supply hitting the market. And it should be noted that the countries that are buying U.S. government bonds like Japan or Canada, the only reason they increase their holdings is because they're trying to – you know, keep their own currencies down. So it's not like they're buying these things because they want the U.S. paper. So, yeah, I'm very, very bearish on bonds. And I think we're, we've hit the long-term secular low for, uh, uh, for interest rates. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going at 7% overnight in a long bond, but we could definitely, you know, uh, slowly begin to grind higher over the next, you know, six months, nine months. Okay. Um, now, uh, you, you, you're kind of bearish on equities, bearish on bonds, bullish on commodities. Is, is that right in, in general terms? And I think, yeah, that's where I've been the last 10 years, and I continue to be that way. And obviously everything fell in 2008 with the crash. But if you look at the last 10 years, this one, like, I take a long-term, I take a three- to five-year view at least when I'm doing these things. The last 10 years, the CCI index, uh, which is uh, the uh, Reuters Commodity Index, uh, there's also the CRB, which is more widely followed, but I like the CCI better because it equally weights the soft commodities with industrial metals and precious metals and energy, etc. And that hit a new all-time high in the past month. And it began this bull market at roughly a level of 200 back in uh, 98, 99, and it's now over 600. So it's tripled, and gold has gone from 250 to 1400. Yet the U.S. stock market has done nothing, and adjusted for inflation has probably fallen 30 to 40 percent in the last 10 years. So, yeah, I think that even though there may be sometimes stocks trade with commodities, for the most part, in the last 10 years, we've been in this commodities bull market, equities bear market. And I think that's going to continue for another five or 10 years. OK. Um, do you still like your gold and your silver? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 definitely. And just so you know, in seven of the past 10 years, gold has actually hit its low for the year in January and February, that first pullback of the year. So often it does pull back again in the summer, but usually hits a higher high in the summer, or a higher low, sorry. So I'm looking for gold uh, to maybe hit a low sometime here in January, February. And I don't think it's going to go as low as people think. I'm hearing a lot of, you know, 1050, 1150, 1200. And even the the bulls are waiting for that. That tells me usually it's not going to go that low. So I I would think that probably 1250 and definitely or 1300 is going to hold on any decline. And 1350 might hold at any decline because there's a lot of buying uh, coming into the 1360, 1370 range. Uh, so I would look for gold just to see a minimal correction here and then continue on the seasonal pattern of rallying into the spring. OK, um, I'm just looking out of my window, Dave, and the heavens have opened in. in uh, I thought a train was going past and I just realized it's a load of thunder and, and we've got a full on mega storm going on all of a sudden out here. <laughs> <laughs> 
honestly, that like the Bahamas weather. So we get that. We we get these like mega storms that roll through. Yeah. And Ten minutes later, it's sunny. Oh, well, it's going to be like Brisbane or or, or or Rio de Janeiro or something if it carries on like this. Crikey. Well, that's, this is that's my other advice for 2011. Don't buy land below sea level. Okay. Well, <laughs> what, what about real estate in general? You, do you like your real estate at the moment? or Do you like it anywhere or are you still a renter? Or I'm still a renter. I think you can be very, very selective in real estate. Uh, I still think there's some emerging markets. Where it's, especially us being, you know, Westerners from first world countries, when you go to some of these emerging markets, you can't believe how cheap things are. Uh, so, so I think they still represent some good value, and you just have to pick and choose your markets. Obviously, Chinese real estate is something I'd be very, very wary of, but it's not the smaller emerging markets. Uh, I would definitely uh, look at real estate, you know, like, like places like Vietnam, or Thailand, or in South America, places like Uruguay or Brazil. And obviously there's the whole thing with agricultural real estate I would really like as well. And one, one part of real estate that I'm really bullish on is to kind of be, quote, unquote, away from people. Because this is a long-term macro view. That if you say, like I was just telling you about a little island in the Bahamas called Lutra, where about 11,000 people live, they've got these like this breathtaking real estate with hills and views of the ocean. It's only about two miles uh, east of west, so you can actually see the Atlantic and the Caribbean, uh, you know, if you have a house at the top of a hill. And as the Chinese and the Indians uh, continue to get richer and have more billionaires and billionaires, you know, those countries have 2.5 billion people combined. So if you're someone who's rich from China and India, you want to go to vacation. You don't want to go to Disney World. You want to go to someplace that's totally secluded and just to get away from everyone. So I think that kind of real estate as well, uh, you know, is going to be uh, positive going forward. And the nice thing about that sort of real estate is be, it's always kind of cheap to begin with because not too many people want to buy an acre or two acres of land in an island somewhere and develop it, right? That's a difficult thing to do. So that's the kind of thing, if you have some foresight, I really like as well. Okay. So um, let's let's look at what well, what are your if you had to make a trade it's um, what is it now it's the fourteenth of January if you had to make a trade uh, what, what what trade would you make uh, right now trade of the year about a stock or a commodity or you know anything specific, specific well I mean I think from recollection when we spoke last time I think you you said natural gas you might have said and natural gas is the you know is the perennial disappointment I can see why yeah. people like it but it just never delivers well um, actually a stock that started to come up in the natural gas actually no I like the stocks better because the power of the commodities and commodities but you have that rollover from month to month and you have erosion and all that sort of thing but a stock I really like is and it's a large cap is in Canada uh ECA, mm-hmm. uh, I own it for disclosure purposes, and this stock trades at about thirty dollars. It's actually propped up recently from about twenty-eight to thirty dollars. It pays about a three percent dividend, and it trades at ten times earnings. So that that's a stock I like. That, again, like you said, natural gas has disappointed the last little bit, and uh, it, it's the stock that's basically been sitting between you know, twenty-five and thirty dollars for a while. But it's something you probably won't lose money on. And if you ever do get a pop, and I'm not even talking a huge pop. I'm talking a pop of natural gas to 6 or $7. That is definitely the kind of stock that can go to $35, $40 plus. You're getting a nice little income stream. I wish I could be a little more aggressive here. But I would say looking at really 
maybe it's a junior for whatever reason that hasn't run. Uh, I, I, I think you have to be really cautious here because, like I said, there might be another 5 or 10% left in this Aggie rally, but I really believe we're going to make a top in the, se- in the first or second quarter. And as you know, you, you've talked to me for the last couple of years here. I've been bullish almost every time we, we spoke. So that, that's a big kind of sea change for me. It, it is. It, it is. Um, Dave, uh, it's been a real uh, a pleasure talking to you. And, and um, uh, you're, you write an excellent newsletter, which I used to receive and no longer seem to for some reason. I must have been removed from the mailing list or, or well, something. A lot of times, you know, these things like my mail gets put on your junk list. So I'll re I'll re-add you to my list. So. Oh, OK. Excellent. But why don't you give out your website? Yeah, it's addictedtoprofits.net. And actually, you mentioned... Uh, my uh, my book, The Great Super Cycle. If you yeah. actually buy a copy of the book right now, which retails for about $20 on Amazon, which is, I guess, roughly £13, pounds, yeah. £14, pounds, uh, you actually get three months free to the newsletter. Just send me a proof of receipt, and I'll add you to the newsletter list for three months for free. And that's a good value, because that's about $100 value for, for roughly a $20 purchase. So if you buy a copy of the book, you'll get three months free on it. Okay, there you go. A wonderful bargain. Dave Skarika, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Frisbees, Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 